listeners, it's Andrea. Today, we figure out on which side of the Western fan line we sit. Worf has a real way with women. And we ask the question, does Picard not know how to activate the locks on his doors? Come nerd out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we are talking a super fun episode, Season 6, Episode 8, A Fistful of Datas. Woohoo! Yay! This episode was written by Robert Hewitt-Wolf and directed by Patrick Stewart. Oh, I did not know that. I wouldn't have known that either had I not looked it up. So after a computer malfunction, Worf, his son Alexander, and Counselor Troy are trapped in an old West holodeck program wherein the interactive characters physically resemble and have the same enhanced abilities as Data. And they're bad guys. Bum, 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 bum. bum. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your initial thoughts on this episode? I am so excited to talk about today's episode. This is one of my favorite episodes for no reason, really. Like, I just love it. It's just, it's silly. It's, it's fun. just it's so light. fun. It's just fun. Yeah, it's just a really, it's just a good time. Um, and actually, I don't know if you remember this, Andrea, uh, but this is the moment, this episode is the is the reason why we have this podcast. Because you and I were talking one day about mm-hmm. whatever we were talking about. Okay. And I said... Oh, you know, I was binge watching Star Trek and I was last night and I was watching this episode. It's called Fistful of Datas and it stars. And I started to explain it to you, not knowing you were a Trekkie. And you said, yeah, I love that episode. I love how they call it the ancient West. And it was that moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, Andrea's a Trekkie. Not only does she know I'm talking about Star Trek The Next Generation, she knows the episode I'm talking about. And she just quoted a freaking line from the episode that we pulled out of thin air. Oh. And that's and I was like, wow, this is like this is deep. And we had been friends for like 10 years at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm excited to review this episode with you, the episode that started it all. What oh my god, I did not remember that this was the episode that started it all. That makes me feel so happy because it's such a fun and memorable episode. It is like I really love the science fiction and I love the hard science, but like this one isn't super sciencey, but like it doesn't need to be. It's really fun. It's be right. mm-hmm. it's it's there's a little touch of silliness to it. Star Trek has this magnificent ability to find humor in places that are not maybe super obvious or don't make it sound super slapsticky like mm-hmm. like when um Data is starting to sort of fall apart and he's talking to the senior staff and he's like, well, I reckon it'll only take two or three hours to run this diagnostic. And they're like, what did you say? He's like, the diagnostic should only take two or three hours. They're like, no, you said I reckon. He's like, I don't think so. And you're like, it's just so <laughs> little things where you're like, oh, right. Without it being like, look at this guy falling on his ass over mm-hmm. and over again or whatever. Right. It's mm-hmm. just like little ways that are really funny. Now, I don't know the answer to this. So you're going to have to tell me, Sharice, are you, are you a fan of Westerns? Have you ever been a fan of Westerns? I am not, nor have I ever been a fan of Westerns. Oh, um, interesting. My, my grandmother is obsessed with Westerns. I think, I feel like maybe she grew up watching them, question mark. I'm not really sure, but she loves, loves, loves Westerns and watches them nonstop. I find them like extremely like offensive, especially to any person of color, especially to Native Americans but also any other characters of color were usually played by white people in like brown face. And I just, at the time, I'm sure it was totally fine. Like totally, totally fine. But because I'm just from a different era, every time I see them, I'm bothered by 
like 98% of them. So I never really got into them. Um, but you know, it's, and it's a whole genre. That's just like, not my cup of tea. Why do you like Westerns? Um, I, I do love Westerns. I've always really loved Westerns. My dad loved them. Um, and as a matter of fact, like one of the movies that we used to watch together a lot was, um, the good, the bad and the ugly with, uh, Clint Eastwood. And that movie came out in 1966. And, um, the name A Fistful of Datas actually has some history. So just a little breakdown of this. Westerns became really expensive to film in Hollywood because they were all the rage in the 60s, right? It was cowboy movie this, cowboy movie that, and even in the 50s and stuff. And so Sergio Leone was a Italian filmmaker who would make these Westerns in the Italian, like, countryside to make it look like a western town and he would make it for like a fraction of the price of the hollywood version and so they started being called spaghetti westerns because it was made by like italian filmmakers in it in italy and a fistful of dollars was one of his first huge hits and so that's why they wanted to do a little spin on this with a fistful of datas there was an alternate title (laughs) to this episode and they were going to call it the good the bad and the klingon (laughs) Like that's kind of silly and I'm kind of messed they, up. I'm glad they went with a fistful of datas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was a, a good call. Good call, yes. people. So yeah. Wait, wait, we haven't heard your initial thoughts though. What are your initial thoughts of oh, this episode? Oh my gosh. Specifically, I don't know. I feel like I mean, I feel like I kind of said it's like it's just super fun. It's not super sciencey, but it's just really campy and fun. And I like how it, it sort of feels like an early 90s version of Westworld, which for those of you who have not seen it, Westworld was an HBO show that was really like cerebral and cool. But it was like in some sort of near future where really rich people usually would pay to go into like this living hologram, you know, like a holodeck and basically play to their heart's content. And the most popular program was this like old Western town. So you can work out your fantasies of like being the good guy and saving the day or being the bad guy or being like going to see the prostitutes in the saloons or the whatever. Right. And like, and then it just like resets and then you can come back in as many, it's kind of like Disneyland, right? Mm -hmm. Like it all resets at night and you come in the next day and it's all fresh um, except some stuff starts going wrong. And um, it's all like robots that are playing the characters. Mm -hmm. Right. And they start becoming like aware of what's happening to them. And they're like, wait, I've, I've done this before. This I've had this memory uh, before. That's when it all so, goes wrong. I have never seen Westworld, it, but it's on my list of things to watch. And it sounds really dark and disturbing, but also like it is. I would super enjoy. So yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I, don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I need to go back. I watched all of season one. And at one point, like the woman who like owns the saloon, the saloon or like runs the saloon or the, or the pleasure house or whatever, she draws this picture of this man that she sees in her dream. And it's like one of the technicians who works on the robots. And she's like afraid that it's going to be discovered. So she pulls up a loose floorboard to hide it and realizes that she's already drawn like 50 of this. Oh my goodness. And you're like, Oh no. Right. Right. So stuff like that. So it feels a little bit Westworldy where it's like, you're going in and you're just getting to play like your Western fantasy mm-hmm. heart out. You know what I mean? Like I'm Minus a sheriff. Factor. We're, wait, we're, saving that. Factor. we're saving that for a few more episodes from now, a ship in a bottle where we find that Moriarty is still alive. And has been alive and awake and aware for all of these years. That's such a nightmare. Which sucks. But this episode's not like that. It's actually super happy, fun, light. And you know what it reminded me of when you were talking? I feel like this is the do-over episode for that really stupid episode. I think it was Cost of Living when LaWaxana took Alexander to the holodeck and it was yes. just the worst nonsense Girl. garbage. This is like the do-over of that holodeck <laughs> trip. The notes- and this is great. 
One of the notes that I wrote was, I am so glad Waxana is not here because she would just be (laughs) messing everything up. She would be helping nothing. Anyway, okay, let's just jump in. So that was kind of the background of these Westerns and like why it was called Fistful of Datas because it was a nod to Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns, um, which was like a title that he apparently held like some pride in where he's like, I make the Spaghetti Westerns. And it became a whole genre and it became such a big deal that like these major Hollywood movie stars and producers and everything would like fly to Italy in the 60s and like film those movies there. Good for him. Because yeah, because the topography was pretty similar to what you can get like mm-hmm. in Central California, and it looks real like old West towny, you know. And it was like at a fraction of the cost, so it, was, it actually launched like a ton of people's careers. Anyway, so let's just jump right in. The Enterprise has entered orbit around some planet, but their scheduled rendezvous with the supply ship Biko has been delayed forty-eight hours. So in the meantime. Many of the crew members are taking advantage of the delay to pursue their own projects, which I was like, yay, slice of life. Mm-hmm. We yeah, love we get this, seeing this. We get this 48-hour layover situation, and mm-hmm. it opens with us seeing Picard's particular hobby, which is him learning to play the flute. And this yes. is such a beautiful throwback to Inner Light, where he first develops a love for the flute. In his the resican flute, yes. Yeah, in his alternate life that he experiences, which is it's just a really beautiful callback. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but his outfit was like his same uniform, but black and gray. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, is this his new casual clothes? Because the last time we saw him in casual clothes, I think he was on Risa with that really shiny low V-neck situation. And I'm liking this one a lot better. Yeah, You know what? Yes. I think that it's what that is, is it's not a different uniform. It's the uniform he wears under the red jacket. Because <laughs> so if, if you look was, at it, he like was Superman and he pulled it off, it'd be the same outfit. Yes. Yeah. Because when he wears that really cool uniform with the, with the red suede jacket, with the black kind of like rubber shoulders, Mm -hmm. he's wearing that underneath and his comm badge is just on the outside of the jacket. But when you take it off, you know, climate controlled, I guess you don't need a jacket. I don't know. (laughs) Like he's hanging in that thing. I imagine that jacket must weigh a ton. I really want that jacket, but where on earth would I ever wear it? Like where? Anyway. Where wouldn't you wear it? Is my question. Girl, it's appropriate we live, in every I live, scenario. I live by the beach. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> anyway, so Picard's playing his Resican flute, which is really nice because it's not just like this bottle episode where like he had this inner light experience. They gave him the flute and that was that. You never see it again. Like it's really nice that he's still kind of like honoring the Resican life that he led and mm-hmm. like is learning the flute. I think it's really sweet. But the poor man cannot get more than like two bars in <laughs> he starts playing and Jordy comes in and he wants to work on some routine part of the ship's commands and reroute them into data's neural net, allowing data to directly control part of the ship in an emergency, which is actually a really great idea. And Picard's like, granted, get the hell out of here. And he's like, okay, computer reset the music. First part. Damn it. So somebody else like rings the doorbell and it's Beverly to be like, I want you to play the part of the Butler in this new play. Which I actually think, did you notice? He's like, I don't have time to learn a bunch of lines. I I, I can't commit to a whole role. And she's like, oh, no, you you wouldn't be a main character. And he's like, oh, really? really? I thought you were going to say the part where he said, said, by the way, I'm not a very good actor. And I was like, nice. That they actually made him say that line is just so hilarious. Nicely done. Nicely done. Yeah. And then then she's just like, it's only two lines. You'll be great, Jean-Luc, and all this. And he's like, I'll think about it. And I was just like, he cannot get out of this to save his life. This is the time for you to be like, hey, Bev, 
thanks, but no thanks. I mm-hmm. don't, I don't want to be in the play. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I just don't want to be, I would just, I, just I it's be not the personally going to do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but the way this is going, he will be in that play. <laughs> he absolutely will be in the play. And then he's like, okay, cool. Now that that's done for now, computer reset music. God damn it. Like somebody else comes to the door <laughs> and Worf wants to use the downtime to beef up security training, which I think is about damn time. Okay. Right? Do we need to wait for emergencies? No, we don't. Let's use this well, downtime wisely. Your security, I hate to break it to you, Worf, but it's been god awful since day one. Mm-hmm. But Picard does say, wait, we are picking up more crewmen, like more security uh, in, in like, like two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah. So can that be postponed two weeks? Because then you're just going to, it's going to be like redundant. And he's like, fine. Um, I can use the time to do a maintenance check on the forward phaser array. And Picard's like, is there some reason that you're just like adding extra work? This is downtime. Go have some down time and leave me alone with my flute. Computer lock quarters. <laughs> this is why we need locks, friends. Right? Or just like move a bureau in front of the door. So even if the door opens, it can't come in. Sorry. Do not disturb hologram on the outside or yeah, like an angry looking Picard. Head over to one of the holodecks, which apparently there's more than one. And you know, just peace out. Go down to holodeck 11. No one would think to look there. Or hit up Cargo Bay 27. No one's ever in there. Yeah. Or go to a fucking Jeffrey's Tube Junction. Like, seriously, anything but your quarters, (laughs) whatever. The point is, he finally gets to play his flute. And then we see Alexander in his quarters with what looks like the bulkiest iPad in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. and alexander's like what did he say what did he say he's like the captain has seen fit to relieve me of some of my extra duties so i guess i can do it and he's like Whoa! and he grabs a cowboy hat and throws it on his dad's head and goes saddle up father and i was like oh <laughs> so cute it's super cute and super sad that Worf is just trying to get out of spending quality time with his son it's like mm-hmm. Worf, buddy like at some point we've all established this kid's not going anywhere and we know you like him. Deep down, you like him. Yeah. I think you should yeah. get to know him because I think it's going to make for a better experience as he ages. Like, yes. this is the time and the only time in this kid's mm-hmm. life where he's going to want to spend any time with you at all. So let's, like, go ahead and capitalize on this. Yes. Um, yeah, because this is this is all you get. And because, time buddy, is out. in, like, two years, he's going to be moody AF with the hormones and, like... It's just going to be, it's going to be too late. So just, yeah. yeah. And six years from now, he'll probably be back on Klingon with Kern. Like yeah. slicing and dicing his enemies or something. But he's yeah. not going to want to be up under you being like, father, father. Like Let's that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, so I was like, come on, Worf. Like I know being with together, little kids Worf. can be painful sometimes, but like, especially if they're your kid, man, suck it up. So I'm glad that Picard yeah. blocked his attempts to ignore Alexander because this ended up being such a great program and like 10 seconds into the program Worf is like all right all right okay Mm -hmm. Alexander picked a good program for you he's not gonna have you in your plane like I don't even know but something that would be so not up Worf's alley he picked something that like was really gonna have Worf having a good time and have Alexander having a good time which is a lot of foresight for a kid I have to say yes so that yes, they go into this old West town on the holodeck. And I love that Alexander calls it the ancient West. And Deanna Troy also calls it the ancient West a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think it's such a nice touch because we hear of old West and it's just a, it's just a saying at this point, like the old West, but in 400 years or 300 years, it will be the ancient West. Like, I love that. I <laughs> love just like the world building of like, this is how far we've come mm-hmm. now that old West town 
was filmed in a back lot at Universal Studios in Hollywood. And girl, it was 113 degrees at the time of filming that day. You know what? This is so interesting because when I saw that scene, I thought to myself, this looks exactly like the back lot of Universal Studios. <laughs> well, and I was like, what news? It is. <laughs> you know, and I was really thinking, I was like, was it filmed on this lot or was it filmed at Paramount or was it filmed at? Because you know, we're in LA. There's a bunch of little. There's a bunch of studios around here. Um, so I didn't know where. Oh, yeah, there's like filmed. tons. But I was looking. But, but that area of Universal Studios back lot is called. Uh, it's called Four Points, Texas, and oh, it's cool. Got, like, it's got a couple of streets. But all of them look like that. They're all saloony, taverny, wooden. So and fun. they've got all different kinds, like different size and shapes of doors and things like that. So when they have a really short actor, they put them in front of a really short door to make them look really big and tall. When they have a tall oh. actor, they put them in front of a short door. Like they have all these little tricks to to make the um to make the cowboy, whoever is the main protagonist, look amazing. Mm. They've got a way, like if it's like a short man and a really tall, like female lead. They'll have mm-hmm. the lead, the man stand on like a wooden block and the lead, mm-hmm. the, the female lead be like standing on a stair lower, but then they'll angle the camera so that it looks like he's taller. Like they have all these tricks that they tell you about. And oh, that, yeah. that road they were walking on, the one that they did the, the gun battle on is actually mm-hmm. a paved road that you drive through on the tour. But when they were filming, they actually, whenever they film in that spot, they bring in truckloads of dirt to make the oh, dirt. Oh yeah. Like yeah, they yeah, just lay the dirt like down. sand and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they actually purchase it. They, or they rent it. They bring it all out. They lay it all down. They film however many scenes they need. And they scoop it all back up and take it back wherever it came from. Which oh, is that's so tons and tons. That's yeah. ton, like my my brother, my brother at the time of this recording has a two and a half year old kiddo. And um, he made him like this really, my mom as like a early Christmas present was like, hey, I'm going to buy you like one of those big swing set jungle Jimmy things. The kind that has like two or three swings and a little slide and like a little thing you climb up. Right. Like this was a big gift. Right. But my brother was like, hey, I need to like do some stuff to my backyard to make it like work for this, right? So he had to like dig out all the like grass and dry it out and then put like mulch down. And then you have to put like decomposed granite and all this shit. And like, I mean, it's like a 10 by 10 square. It took one and a half ton of decomposed granite for that 10 foot by 10 foot square. And I was like, what did you say? And he's like, yeah, it was over it was over a ton of decomposed granite that you have to buy. And decomposed granite is like granite that's like broken down into like sand, but it's really compact. Like you compact it down. It doesn't really go Mm -hmm. anywhere. Um, And I was like, holy crap. So thinking about how that entire, like, let's say 80 feet of road Mm -hmm. has to be, Oh my God. How many trucks is that? To make sure that it all looks good. It all looks the the same. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. So it was 113 degrees at the time of filming this, these scenes. And Data, as an android, can never be seen sweating, right? So, like, they had all these Data doubles that were, like, filming and then would just go run and stand in front of whatever air conditioner was working to try to, like, dry off their skin so it doesn't look glistening or sweaty. But the one that suffered the most was Worf because he had that wig and skull cap on, forehead prosthetic, and a big-ass wig that was, Mm -hmm. like, really thick and had, like, a rubber base to it. And a cowboy hat. (laughs) And like, cowboy, yeah, all I mean, that, keeping all Worf the was like in he- like Michael Dorn, who plays Worf, was just an absolute hell filming that. And I believe well, I it. It sounds it. horrific. I couldn't see no. it. I didn't notice glistening on anyone. Exactly. Because they just, they really stayed there and they had these like portable air conditioning things that just blow in your face for 10 minutes. And then you go film a scene for five minutes and you come back and stand there. It was insane. Anyway. um, So Worf does not know what we're doing there. What are we doing here? And 
I love that Alexander's like, well, you're the sheriff and I'm your deputy. And I absolutely love that Worf goes, so we're in law enforcement. And I was like, God damn, Worf, you really don't stray from your path. But I love that, though, because I was like, does Alexander know his dad or what? He picked something where Worf would be in law enforcement. So he'd be like, all right, like, I, I get this. It's not like he made him literally anything else where he would have been like, all right, no, this isn't my thing. You, you put me as like a main potter or an artist or something like that would make sense. But making him a yeah, sheriff, yeah. making him a sheriff totally makes sense. It so does. It does make sense. We also see like the spurs and the cowboy boots and the vests and everything was just glorious. Glorious. Yes. Like the costumes in this episode are so ridiculously fun. And just, oh, they're so great. I mean, yeah. even like Deanna hasn't come in yet, but damn, she looks so incredible in that role. So good. Now, meanwhile, this is happening. Data and Jordy work on connecting the ship systems to Data's neural net. And so we kind of cut back and forth between like the ancient West and like main engineering. But we enter the Rootin' Tootin' Shootin' Saloon and we get a lay of the characters. There's like this bad guy. There's people shooting in the saloon. There's a really racist profile of like a Mexican dude that's like laughing and drinking tequila. And I was like, I really could have done without that fucking guy there. Um... And like, but you know, I did see why they used him at the very, very end when he turns into well, a because Well, because, because he turned like, into Data. Oh, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see what you did there. <laughs> yes. Now, now, Worf and Alexander enter the saloon, and he's about to take down the bad guy, Eli, in about two seconds. And Alexander's like, no, 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 no. Okay, computer freeze program. It needs to be more challenging. Otherwise, it's not fun. Like, let's try it again from the top, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alexander's like, computer from the top and like you know everything resets and they walk back in and eli this time does not go quietly and like a bunch of them now have Worf cornered and Worf is held at gunpoint and suddenly a mysterious stranger enters the saloon and shoots the hat right off of eli's head and it's counselor troy and she's being such a badass and she does like an old westy like accent too it is so <laughs> fucking fun oh my god this episode is so much fun yeah it's great because um eli has this line where he's you know he he's cornered them all and actually Worf got into a huge fight and beat one of the guys up and just he loved being jumped he was all about that life and it wasn't yes. until Eli pulled a gun where Worf was like all right all right I'll stop fighting but before that he turned to Alexander and kind of smiled and winked and was like I see the appeal of this program he's like all right this is on talking about yeah. some clean he's like nah, I get it. Yeah. yeah so but then he he pulls a gun out and then Eli threatens not just to shoot him but to also steal all of their jewelry he's like take all their jewels and then Worf is like so appalled he's like you're a killer and a thief like how dare you and that's when Eli, you know, slowly walks towards him and says, well, man's got to make a living. So then Troy comes in, shoots the hat off his head and says, I suggest you find another line of work. And everyone's like, ooh. And you're like, oh, this is so fun. Such a great, such a great line. So, oh, we're, so good. We're bouncing back to engineering and seeing what's going on um, with Data. And we get to see this really cool, like, internal view of Data's head, which I'm obsessed with. Every time Oh, I this. love it. And they pop open the scalp and you see the LEDs flashing. It's so cool. Like, this is a cosplay that needs to exist in my life. I'm and sure. This... I'm sure it, it has been done a bunch. But, man, it's oh, so yeah, cool. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, I will, I will either make or purchase it. But I'm going to look on YouTube and see how expensive and how much time it takes to make it. And if it's beyond my threshold of patience, I will be purchasing this item because I need to own it. Um, 
So there's this great line that happened a little earlier in engineering as as Jordy's plugging things into Data's head, where Jordy's just like, man, I never get used to seeing you like this, Data. And Data's like, why? You work on systems like this, like very all the time, all the time. Um, And Jordy says, yeah, but you're not just another electronic system. And Data's like, thank you, Jordy. Like he takes (laughs) that as such a deep compliment, right? I know. Like even though it's like the most obvious thing. And then he goes, nor are you just another biological organism. <laughs> like, same to you, another, pal. another way of being like, you're not just a person, you're my friend. Yeah. You know? which is it's really just, sweet. It's so sweet. I love moments like this. So at this point, um, Data's accessing things and seeing what all his brain can do. And there's a little bit of a power surge. He freaks out and he disconnects everything. He's like, I'm disconnected from the computer. Okay, I'm disconnected. Yeah. So they're like, hmm, we don't know what went wrong, but like, let's run some tests. Let's figure it out. So... Jordy goes off to run some tests. And before Data joins him, he picks up his tricorder, he flips (laughs) it like a gun and slides it into its holder, just like Eli kept flipping his gun and sliding it into his holster. And they're like, my first question was, since when do tricorders have a holster? Since never. Since since this moment right here. Since they needed it for the shot, that's when it started. (laughs) Like, just like they don't have pockets, they don't have holsters for those tricorders. I've seen, I've seen holsters for tricorders when you're on an away mission but not just hanging around the ship but those but are those for tricorders are those for phasers no they look they look like for they look like they look like pockets for tricorders because they're kind of like bigger and square square. yeah to like fit a tricorder but i thought it was funny how he spun it around and slapped it in there and i was like this is (laughs) and there was a little guitar twang it was like I was like, okay, <laughs> enter Western Town. <laughs> so in the next scene, we enter Western Town. Yes, we're in the ancient West. And Eli is incarcerated and Worf and Alexander try to figure out what to do next. And Eli threatens that when his paw hears about this, there'll be hell to pay. And Troy says, he's right. You're no match for the Hollanders. And I was like, God damn it. You're so awesome, Troy. Like, What? a flip from where we started the podcast where we're like, God, can she yeah. please be written off? She sucks. Yeah. And she's just so well, kick wasn't even her fault. It was the writers. It no, was like, no, can no. She be it was written her. off or written better. Can we make a, a choice? So they chose written better. So thanks for that. Thank like, God. Like, thank whew, God. Because no, Marina Sirtis so is clutch. always great, but no, she's amazing. So she's like, you can't call me Troy. My name is Durango and I'm a mysterious stranger. And she agrees to be a temporary deputy for war for a price of 500 bucks so he sends alexander to the bank to get some money because you know i guess an eight-year-old kid can just go withdraw 500 dollars from he the bank when he's the deputy and he volunteered so i say let him let him do his thing this is his program also it's the holodeck so whatever um but when alexander goes to the bank to get the money to pay her Worf asks troy like how does she know so much about this time period in earth's history and she explains that her dad used to read her stories of the ancient West when she was a little girl. And I was like, what a freaking adorable backstory that is for Troy. And like, no wonder she would be so excited to like join in the fun. And this is, I feel like the first time we really see Alexander and Worf having fun. Yeah. It's the first time we see them having fun and having just like, just like a normal, healthy father son relationship that is. Yes outside of their normal everyday life right this yes. is like i'm taking time to play with my son like yes. this is a totally this is like sitting like on your we're doing an outing playing legos or something this is a very yes. specific carved out moment of just quality bonding time which we haven't really seen before and it's really beautiful 
It is. It is. Now, Miss Annie, the barkeep, comes by to thank him and make a super obvious pass at him. And he's like, I'm sorry, uh, I can't have dinner with you tonight. I've got a prisoner that I need to keep an eye on. And Troy is like, I'll take care of this. You go. <laughs> like Troy's a little bit of like a shit stirrer. And he's like, uh-huh, no, 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 I can't do that. But thank you. And she's Miss Annie like slaps him and she's like, is it another woman? Is it one of the ladies that like Miss So-and-so's house of pleasure? Is it? And, like storm slaps him and storms out. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. And Eli just chuckles and goes, wow, you got a real way with women. And, and Durango's <laughs> like, true. That's true. <laughs> that is. He does. He does. Now in his quarters, Picard asks the computer to play back the Mozart trio that he had been recording with the Russian uh flute uh flute earlier but it starts to play it starts to play that and then it immediately jumps to Dvozak's Slo- um slavonic dances and it was like is this a malfunction is this like what's going on because it was like it's like what is going on here right so now around the ship we're starting to notice that there are some glitches happening and then in in like the rehearsal for beverly's play that i noticed picard is not participating in Mm -hmm. Riker starts giving his lines but we learn really quickly that Riker's lines have been replaced on the data pad with ode to spot from like a couple episodes Mm -hmm. ago yeah what is going on i laugh i always (laughs) laugh out loud at that scene because that that particular poem is just so ridiculous and it's so data and so to hear Riker say it with the same amount of passion that Data uses was just yes. was just so hilarious. And then when Beverly picks it up and, and picks up the lines. And, and she's reading, like, what are you reading? What yeah, are you even reading, sir? It's great. So, but the it's great because it's hilarious. But the sad side is that Beverly's entire play seems to have disappeared. It's all been replaced with Data's poetry. And we know how fun Data's poetry is. So that's a bummer, especially if you spent all this time writing a play. So next thing you know, um, we're in engineering trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Like, why is everything kind of going wrong? And so we Mm -hmm. find out that the information is still there. The play exists somewhere. But the problem is in the data retrieval system. And we actually learned later on that it was a a subsystem of the computer, the main computer that got swapped out with one of data's during that that brief power surge. So just whenever things try to access things using that subsystem, it pulls from data's records, like his memories and his poetry and his, his, you know, things that he likes or whatever. Um, So it's just a little, it's it's a little computer glitch that they can easily fix with a memory wipe on data and a memory wipe on the computer. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to them, <laughs> that glitch has had some other effects in the yep. holodeck. Some like real dangerous effects. Now, on his way back from the bank, Alexander is captured by some baddies and it turns out that the leader of the bad guys is Eli's father. But when he comes up from behind the shadows, it's data. And I was like, oh, this is not good at all. Which, by the way, Brent Spiner said this is one of the most fun episodes he filmed. Um, even playing Miss Annie <laughs> at the end. <laughs> it's just like, it was so much fun. He said that he was really hopeful. He kind of joked that, like, maybe after this episode, somewhere down the line, there would be an episode called And a Few More Datas. Because <laughs> he just wanted to do, like, more characters with data. I think it was really funny. Um, so it's in his quarters, data is starting to show signs of the holodeck program, like bleeding into him. And um, 
when Spot keeps jumping up on his table when he's trying to work, he's like, Spot, you are interfering with my ability to productively work. And then he puts the cat down and the Spot jumps back up and it goes, Vamoose, you little varmint. And like puts Spot down and like it's right back to work. And the entire time is completely unaware of like mm-hmm. this overbleed that's happening between these recreational programs and and his own like positronic net so i thought that was kind of funny to see him like start westerning a little bit like, mm-hmm. on and, the ship and i thought it was very like true to life because at the time of this recording laptops were not a thing <laughs> like that that didn't yeah. exist though he was sure typing didn't. on a laptop there was no such thing as a laptop at the time of that recording um, at least not available to the general public. It was all science. It's that. all science fiction. Make believe and all that life imitating art. Yes. so beautifully. But everyone I know who has a cat have experienced has experienced what data experience of having the yeah. cat jump on the laptop only when you're typing on it because yeah. that cat knows you are giving something else your attention. It's very <laughs> aware of it and doesn't care for it at all. So I was watching this and I was like, wow, this is like really cool future future pacing here <laughs> like, <laughs> little did they know. Cool. <laughs> it is very cool it really is life imitating art and then life imitating art again where it's like the laptop is one but also the cat interrupting you while you're trying to type on the laptop is another part <laughs> That's mm-hmm. cool. now in ancient west Worf comes into the saloon to ask about alexander and miss annie is pretty ticked off to see him but goes to get him a drink. And Frank Hollander, who's Data, comes into the saloon and Worf is like, Commander, what are you doing here? Which is exactly what I would say. Mm-hmm. And Frank is saying he wants Eli released, but Worf won't give in. He's like, I'm sorry, he's committed a crime. He has to be tried in, in Carson City, Nevada, or wherever the hell, right? And I love that Frank goes, are you sure there isn't anything we can do a trade for? And he's like, you have nothing I want. And he's like, really? What about your debute <laughs> he says it too <laughs> and he's like wait give me alexander but he's like not until i get eli and as Worf goes to walk out frank pinches Worf's shoulder and yeah, hurts the like shit the, out of him Vulcan neck pinch kind and of it right was, it was super painful you can see and Worf's just like commander like what are you doing like you're taking it too far and when yeah. he looks at him something about data's eyes or something it's tells not right Worf immediately this is not data. This looks like, like data, Commander? but this is not data. And you're like, yep. wow, how did he catch that in 10 seconds? Because it's not him. We know that. But mm-hmm. how did he know that? But he figured it yeah. out. So he's like backing up slowly and he turns around and then Frank says, Sheriff, I wouldn't walk out that door if I was you. And then his henchmen all pull out their guns. And then you're like, what's Okay, so what, other, so what other option do I have? Just stay here and get... Blown I think it was stay here and finish the negotiations, I think is what it was. Because oh. he was like, I want to do this exchange. And Worf was like, no. I about that. <laughs> he was like, no, no deals that. and no trades. And they were like, I think you should re, you know, you should think about that again. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I didn't remember this scene, like how it ended. So Worf actually makes a break for it. He just dive bombs out of the saloon. With a, a firestorm, a hail of like a hail of gunfire. Him. Yep. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this, how did you not get shot like three times in the back of the head? This is crazy. But he somehow escaped and I guess tucked and rolled and started running because <laughs> when he gets back to the jail where Counselor Troy slash Durango is, 
She's like, oh my gosh, he'd been shot. He was shot one time in a really cute place on his arm. Yeah, like um, on his upper arm. Yeah, so we don't have to see any like blood or gore because he didn't get mm-hmm. shot anywhere else. But she took off like, her really cute neckerchief and he tied did. that up. She did, <laughs> she did and, but you're like, wow, well, he could have gotten shot like 16 times in mm-hmm, that during that yeah. one jump. My goodness. Yep, that was really bad. And he makes it back just in time, as you said, and he explains what's going on. And then you hear Eli go, oh, did you get shot? But it's Data's voice. And Durango and Worf turn around and the look on their face of like, oh, fuck. When you see that it's Data in there, mm-hmm. it's like everybody's turning into Data. Because it's one thing if there's one Data, that's just some kind of weird glitch. Yeah. But if there are two Datas, then you're like, okay, now oh, there's a God. pattern. And we're yeah. probably in trouble because neither of these people are Data, we are sure. And they yes. don't know about the test that Jordy was running with Data. They don't know Not anything about this. They it's just know total something surprise. is totally wrong. They're, they it's all... like two islands, you know. This, yeah. this entire episode mm-hmm. is like two islands that are not in communication with each other. Yes, but they're sharing scary. the same contaminated water source or something. Yes, yeah. And the interesting thing is that um, as they're kind of trying to figure this out, they're trying to end the program, close the program, stop the program, whatever. They yeah, realize not only working. can you not stop this program in any way, shape, or form, but clearly the safeties are off because Worf has been shot and Alexander is now in real danger. It's not mm-hmm. fake make-believe danger that we all thought it was, that even Alexander thought it was. He had programmed mm-hmm. this, by the way, so he knows how the story's supposed to go, um, even though the other two don't. And now they're like, okay, shoot, we really need to get Alexander back. Like, this is an Yes, yes, yes. And, like, now at this point, this is kind of where aboard the Enterprise, I mean, it's all aboard the Enterprise, but when we see the Enterprise, this is where we're really noticing the malfunction. There was an interface experiment caused by one of the computer's subroutines, uh, caused one of the computer's subroutines to be altered. So that particular subroutine affects recreational programming, among other things. So that would explain the song being erased and, re- uh, or sorry, the play being erased and like replaced with Out to Spot and Picard's music. And they don't know about the danger in the holodeck yet, but that's when. Data starts really getting Western-y. You know, he's like, y'all must be mistaken. And he goes into Western mode really quickly. And I love that Riker's like, uh, Jordy, maybe you should take him with you to main engineering to work this out. And he's like, got it. And (laughs) Data follows Jordy out doing the like John Wayne, like swagger stagger and then spits in one of the plants. It goes, and like sucks his teeth and walks out. And I love that Ranker and Picard both are looking at each other like, uh, I don't know what that was, but the sooner this is cleared up, the better for everybody. Yeah, that's now, my least favorite scene. Really? I'm, I, guess, I love. No, not the not well, the fun accent and all that. The spitting part. Like that moment is my least favorite moment because it is completely nauseating for me. You know how oh. easily I get nauseous, right? So like someone hawking a loogie, that's it. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I could be like, gosh, I had an upset stomach last night. She's like, I don't want to hear any more about it because I'm going to throw up. I'm like, really? Okay. That is that is true. That is oh true. So God. this scene, I always look away. I'm like, oh, because I forget oh, it's God. coming and then it happens. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Next, 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 See, next, and next. It, wash and out, it, wash and out, it, wash out. It's so perfect for the Western thing because it's like, you know, saloons had like yes, spittoons back right. in the day, right? So it's Which like, I'm okay. so glad I was not back in the day. No, like, so glad. If Ooh. I wrote this program, I would go ahead and delete that part. Of the Just program. delete that part. Yeah. <laughs> now in the sheriff's office, Troy is noticing that Eli is shuffling his cards at Android speed. So she's like, oh, crap. They don't just look like data. They have his abilities. This is what we've been afraid of you know what i mean if it looks like data but has regular person abilities okay but like 
Now we've if now we're competing data, with Androids. Oh. Yeah, we're competing with Androids. Now Frank comes to see Eli, and this always makes me mad when Eli plays the sad son, but he's like, Paul, they haven't fed me, and, and the sheriff's been roughing me up some fierce. Wasn't he wasn't he such a you know big bad man when he was in the saloon with his boys and his gun, yes. jumping one single oh. individual with like five dudes? And yeah. now all of a sudden he's like, you got to save me, Paul. So which one is it? Help me, which Paul, one is I'm it? real are hungry. You, are you grown or are you a little Man. kid? Man, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Okay, there. that's one thing. The other thing I did notice, did you notice that they had, whatever they did, like the Western trick to make Frank look taller than mm-hmm. Eli, yeah. to make it be like father and son yeah. kind of thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. I love it because it's played by one actor who's the same size as himself. <laughs> So yeah. I was like, okay. I thought that was really cool. I it was great was too, because cool. if you look at the facial expressions that Eli's making, he looks extremely pathetic. And that mm-hmm. is the same facial expressions that the other actor who played Eli was making. So you're like, yeah. wow, that like they're both taking on the mannerisms of a person who doesn't exist, but they're both doing it the same way. It's just so cool. Just yeah, so no, it's cool. just super cool. And this also, I I forget about this episode a lot, but like Star Trek TNG does such a amazing job of like meeting our twins like Times squared picard meets the picard from four hours you mm-hmm. know in the future and then Riker meets tom thomas Riker. Riker. yeah mm-hmm. thomas Riker. and then you've got this too and it's just like we've got like duplicates and it's just super fun and i really really love it i love it anyway um you know i love that frank goes don't you worry boy we're going to get you all, this is going to be sorted out and have you home in time for supper. <laughs> and I love that Frank goes, are you sure you don't want to do a trade? And, and now that like Worf knows that Alexander is in real trouble, he's like, uh, I have reconsidered. I need my deputy back. And he's like, I thought you'd say that. Right. So they decide to do this prisoner swap, Eli for Alexander. And Frank looks at Durango and goes, strangers ain't invited. <laughs> and i just think it's so great because like she's just the mysterious stranger to everybody which i think is amazing it's great it's really it's really fun and frank walks out and Worf turns to troy and you know it's like all right so we've got you know a couple hours to the trade-off and he's starting to make plans and troy's like in every ancient west story i've ever read or heard of the bad guys never keep their word and yeah. Worf is like, what? Like, he's yeah. so appalled by this news. He goes, um, but we made a deal. We gave our word. And it's like, oh, honey. Like, <laughs> he's not a yeah. Klingon. He's a bad guy. Yeah. And she says, in two hours time, he is going to do everything in his power to kill you. And he's got android yeah. speed and precision and agility and all that. Yeah. So let's go ahead and plan This isn't going to go well. This let's is not, not going to go well. Word. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now at this point, Data and Jordy are doing the memory purge on Data and on the holodeck, but it's going to take a couple of hours, and they still, because they can't be in contact, or like, for some reason, because of the glitch, Troy and Worf cannot contact, like, the ship outside, like, nobody knows what's going on, so it's going to be a few hours. Now, remember, Worf and Troy do figure out, like, okay, we can't stop this program or pause the program or freeze the program but all of these stories are written specifically to play out a certain way so if we just get to the end of the story it should just like automatically end the story and like you know unlock the the holodeck right so they're like okay we got to get to the end of the story we got to do this prisoner swap so Worf you and know what troy i just use- thought of right now 
What? I thought about how much I love audiobooks and I love a really good story. And if I was trapped in an audiobook, you know, as a holodeck mm-hmm. story, like you would want to be trapped in a nine-year-old's story because it's going to end in like 15 minutes. But mm-hmm. the stories I like, like The Expanse, for example, every one of those audiobooks is like 27 hours long. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I was trapped in The Expanse and I had to make it to the end without dying with yeah. space battles and breaches in the hole and no more food and diseases and aliens or whatever, like a hundred I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it to the end of the story. One hundred so percent. I was like, oh, thank God Alexander programmed this. Because yes. I programmed With it, a, we would never get out. With, by the way, a little help from Barkley and Barkley is the one who clearly put the prostitutes in. And I love that Worf was like, remind me to have a little talk with Lieutenant Barkley. like, yep, I would too. Anyway, Barkley continuing his winning streak anyway so Worf and troy use some like basic old west materials and their combat just to rig up this little temporary force field and it's not going to last very long but about 10 to 15 seconds is all they got so that hopefully should be enough for frank to unload and his cronies to unload like all their weapons and then you know they can do some sort of have some sort of backup plan and so they do the prisoner swap Worf walks out with eli frank walks out with alexander and as the prisoners are walking towards each other the hollander gang appear all looking like data every last one of them now looks like data it's and literally like a fistful of data seven of these dudes they're everywhere yep. they're everywhere and Worf goes alexander get down and like turns on his little combat force field and frank like all his bullets just bounce off of him harmlessly, which I was like, thank God you came in with your comm badges. Like, whoo. Um, and, and I was also like, like, why didn't you draw your gun though? Like, I know you're not going to shoot right this second, but you're not even making it look like you're going to shoot. Like, I don't know. Yeah, you're just know. standing there. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, I feel you're like right. he wasn't, he wasn't like selling it for my yeah. liking. <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> you know right. You're right. You know, what's interesting as all these henchmen datas are popping out of these doorways and, you know, behind every nook and cranny, a lot of those doors on that street don't open <laughs> and the ones that do open yeah. don't open to anything because they're just like yep. edifices and like one or yes. two of them are actual like they have an inside like, like a the, like a saloon yeah mm, they have an inside like they have enough of an inside for someone to be thrown through the window yeah so they've got yes, like yes. enough space for someone to like just run but it's still going to be filmed from the outside so yeah. it's so you can see like when they creak open the door or whatever you're just like, like, I don't know. I'm just thinking like, oh, I hope there's no spider webs <laughs> because there's nothing back there. There's no one. Yeah, they're just, stuff. yeah, they're just crunched in behind some plywood behind, like, the and plywood, stuff. Yeah, the plywood doors. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that seems so, it was very cool to look at. But like having, <laughs> having visited that exact strip, I was like, oh, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could be an actor going to places that are, are full of cobwebs and giant spiders for all I know. That? is <laughs> hilarious i didn't even think of that that's all um, i think about girl spiders i don't know why now Worf enables the force field the bullets bounce off harmlessly and as another toady goes to shoot troy who was hiding in a wagon in the 113 degree heat with a tarp over her swings up and gets the drop on him and Worf shoots at eli and like shoots the gun out of his hand or some shit and he goes, don't show your face in this town again. And I love that Frank is like, fine. <laughs> they just walk off. I was like, okay. he was going to shoot him because Frank ran out of bullets. Warped yes. the gun on him. And um, then the crony on the ceiling threw a gun down. It was like, catch mm-hmm. it. And then he caught it. And then Worf somehow shot it out of his hand, which is such a classic Western move as far as 100%. I know of Westerns. And like such a fun shot. Like that's just a fun scene to see like a gun go flying because that's like a one yeah. million shot and it would never happen yeah. like that. But so cool to look look at. 
So that happens and Frank is disarmed. And so he's like, go ahead, shoot me. And Worf is thinking about it. He cocks the gun because that's what you got to do with those kind of guns. And he looks over and he sees Alexander laying on his stomach in the saloon, just like staring at him. And Worf is like, all right, don't show your face again. But he was like, I was just about to blow you away. But then my kid was watching. So I decided to let you live. But what's so interesting about that scene, like, you know, me seeing it through my eyes, I'm like, well done, Worf. You're not teaching your son the way of violence. But then the second thought is like, wait a minute, you guys are Klingons. If this was a Klingon program, you would have already eviscerated this man with a bat left. And, and Alexander would have been right next to you, chopping his head off. So I was like, yeah, well, blood spring this, everywhere. Yeah, like, maybe this is the it. one case where you could have chosen violence and it would not have made, it wouldn't have been out of place. Yeah, he doesn't. He chooses the peaceful way and all Yeah, and well. he says, don't show your face in this town again. Now, some trivia about that scene where he looks over at Alexander and Alexander is laying on his belly underneath the saloon door, like watching him. Um, there was, uh, an original Western, um, called Shane, which I've never seen. And I'm a big Western, um, fan. So I'm like, Oh, what's Shane in that movie? There is a shootout in the town square. Cause you know, it's a Western and like the protagonist's son is laying on his belly under the saloon door with his dog with him, like staring out, like to see what's going on. And so Patrick Stewart got the script and was like, woohoo, I get to like direct a Western. Oh my God. I don't know anything about Westerns at all. Like, not at all. So what he did was like he rented two classic Westerns every single night for like three weeks or whatever and just watched them all. And every like next morning he'd come in and like had all these like ideas and like ways that you could like, you know, pay homage to like these great Western movies and stuff. And that was actually one of those scenes and i thought thought that was kind of cool it's like oh that little scene it was only a two second throwaway but it was really cute and like well done like nice little nod to a another famous western now that's cool that's really cool right so you know eli the whole hollander gang saunters out of town and troy and Worf are reunited with alexander in the saloon but the program won't end and they're like well what's left and then you hear sheriff and it's miss annie as data she's also now data mm-hmm. bosoms a heaving right mm-hmm. but also like miss annie had large breasts so she did have bosoms a heaving but like data just has a you know a male chest it does <laughs> but it's just, they just made it really big a really they big just, box of a chest there are no yes. separated lumps and it's all painted silver which is it's awesome <laughs> yes and as she's running toward him to thank Wharf. He's like, computer and program and and right. Like he starts getting really nervous. And luckily, Miss Annie, because it's a Western, she just places her chin like on his on his shoulder and it's like, mm-hmm. oh. And then the whole thing dissolves. And Worf looks around, he's like, oh, oh thank God. <laughs> he's just so nervous. That was the scariest part of the he whole was, thing for him. He was afraid of Miss Annie before <laughs> she turned into data. So right? as his commanding officer, it was just one straw too many. That's what I think it was. <laughs> yes. So now everything has been restored and the supply ship has appeared. Everybody's back to work now. And you know, now there's like a little bit of a softer relationship between Worf and Alexander. And it seems like Alexander fell asleep on the couch and Worf goes to like give him a kiss, good night, or tuck him in or whatever. But it turns out he's not actually asleep at all. He goes, Dad, you probably wouldn't go back to the holodeck. Like after all the problems, like you probably wouldn't want to go back, would you? And I love, I just love Worf's answer. He goes, 
the town of Deadwood might face trouble again. If it does, it'll need a sheriff and a deputy. And he kind of walks off and I was like, oh, God, that is so cute and so well worth it. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing we see, Worf goes into the next room and picks up that hat again and kind of puts it on and does like finger guns like into Mm -hmm. the mirror, you know, like he's drawing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, it's like, "Mm -hmm." you know, it's really off it goes. And it's just so... Ador- like everything about it is super cute that super cute scene where he's doing the finger guns in the mirror which now they have a mirror that's cool um while yeah. he's doing that it made me think about uh last week's episode of rascals and how ensign Rowe was never really a kid so when she got turned into yes. a kid she got to kind of be playful be silly jump be on kid, the bed yeah. use a crayon and color pictures of her mom just like be a kid that's mm-hmm. what i felt like with this scene it was a throwback to that for me where i was like Worf probably never got to be a kid because he grew up as an orphan, he was orphaned at five yeah. and taken from this like battle zone and dropped off on or- Earth for some strange reason and then raised by-, yeah. by humans. And, you know, his childhood was like not super fun. So I feel like through Alexander, he's getting to just like play, just use his imagination and play. And he's like, ooh, I'm a, I'm a cowboy, you know? And I thought that was a really great ending to the story. I just loved it. I loved it. Well, what are your final thoughts on this, Sharice? I mean, this is just another fun and frothy episode to keep the keep the streak going, I guess. Um, I felt like this was just a perfect palate cleanser before we get into some of the really hardcore topics that are coming up over the next several episodes. We're going to talk a, a lot about life and what does life mean and what does life look like and what does sentience mean and what does freedom look like. We're going to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, we're coming up to the episodes where Captain Picard gets kidnapped and tortured. We haven't had a kidnapping in a while and we haven't had a torture in ever. I think, um, at least not of Picard. So mm-hmm. it's going to get like really heavy. And I thought this was a nice, just like fun, light notes. Like a palate cleanser before the mm-hmm. heavy duty stuff. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Like my final thoughts are the same as the initial, like cute, fun, funny, campy, sweet, you know, um, I just really enjoy this episode every time I watch it. And it's always a delight when I hear things like the ancient West. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's interesting because it's called a fistful of datas, but the episode's all about Alexander and Worf. Mm-hmm. Well, but then you do get like you get a lot of data, five, five or six datas. So yeah, yeah the, the yeah, title's not incorrect. You, know. you do get a fistful no. of datas, but the story does not center around data. You no. just have to get a lot of datas. The story mm-hmm. is about Worf and Alexander and it's yeah. a great story. It a is a great story. <laughs> it is. It's really, yes, this is the first time that I see them having like really positive interactions that are not like Troy being like, right. Worf, come on, dude. Come on, man. Like be the parent, get it together. You know, she's doing this like counseling sessions between them because they can't communicate. Like she's just along for the fun. She's not along as a counselor. She's just along for the fun. And I'm, and I'm mm-hmm. here for it. Next week, we are talking season six, episode nine, the quality of life. Thank you guys so, so much for nerding out with us through this super fun, funny episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.